0: This is the AMA Los Angeles Podcast. Are you ready? Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles Podcast. I'm Joel Metzger. I'm in the offices of MXM in Culver City, and I'm here with Christy Vandenbosch, Chief Digital Officer. Welcome, Christy. Hi, Joel. Give us a quick thumbnail of MXM.
1: So MXM was actually one of the more interesting agency models Probably ever, in that instead of being owned by a holding company, we're actually owned by a big publishing company, which is Meredith Corporation in Des Moines, Iowa. And they are behind some of the most famous magazines you've ever read the Martha Stewart Living of the World, the Better Homes and Gardens. And one of the interesting things that our CEO and chairman was asked uh, a number of years ago is sort of the provocative question of sort of what happens when people stop reading magazines. And one of the strategies he came up with was the fact that in the future, brands were going to need content 24 7 to fill an amazing myriad of channels, and that he should actually invest in advertising agencies and so he went and acquired a number of chops that had sort of channel expertise whether strong digital social analytics and uh, turned it into an agency network called mxm and we've been very successful in doing that ever since and that pedigree of a publisher is a really big differentiator in the marketplace today
0: Okay, one of the things about, that's, that's innovative about this podcast is the, the host doesn't really know that much about advertising. <laughs> I mean, what I, what I don't know could fill a large book.
1: What you don't know, I would be delighted to talk about for the next okay, 17 Okay, so hours.
0: just bear with me, because I know we're going to, and I hate this phrase, we're going to get deep in the weeds on some of this stuff. So I have heard you speak, and I'm using air quotes, on the tyranny of the media plan. So let's get into that.
1: So I do actually use that term and I use it a lot with CMOs who uh, I love to provide counsel to because it's such a fast changing world for them and they do have this feeling of impending risk in their jobs all the time, which I am incredibly sympathetic about. So what's kind of evolved uh, over the last number of years and a lot of it had to do with when the disintermediation, disintermediation excuse me, between sort of advertising agencies and their media counterparts happened um, a lot of the strategy for how a brand goes to market moved to the media planning side of the house. So, a creative agency who arguably will make amazing work on behalf of a brand that will be uh, incredibly emotive and motivating and make uh, a consumer want to do business unless that consumer actually finds that piece of content it never gets uh, effectively communicated so you know every day at the or every year I should say beginning of the year you know this sort of Excel spreadsheet gets pushed across the desk and it's like well here's your media plan for the year and that effectively becomes your strategy you as the creative agency are stuck filling in boxes on that Excel spreadsheet you know exactly how many many, you know, pieces of content you're going to make to fill a media plan. And it takes really the strategic um, control away from the marketer themselves. and really puts it into the communication channel. And it's just one paid media perspective on how consumers are going to interact with that brand. So, you know, it it becomes a a tyranny that you have to sort of ascribe to. And it's hard to figure out how to break out of that.
0: Well, how do you break out of that?
1: Well, that's actually one of the interesting ways that our uh, company's been able to help advise a lot of really big brands on getting out of that trap and it has to do with this fundamental tension that exists between marketers and their consumers so there's all kinds of things that the brand wants to talk about like it wants to talk about how its product is superior and where you can buy it and that we have a promotion this month or whatever it is that it feels like it wants to say and the consumer wants a whole bunch of different things they want to be entertained they want to be educated they want to have tools that they use they, they want you to feel um, they want to feel special and rewarded in some fashion that the the tension between what the two sides want are sort of dramatically different. What we found is that when you actually activate your communications according to what the consumer needs to hear from you to do business successfully, you effectively blow up that media plan-driven perspective, and you start to create content that will actually help your customers do business with you, which is fundamentally what both sides of the business truly do want at the end of the day.
0: So you're putting the customer first? Yeah. Well, how does that change the role of the brand?
1: If I'm the brand now, my job is to answer in the best brand way that I can, the needs of the customer along their entire journey. So if I look at, as marketers, we are really, really good at thinking about the front end of what we need to do with consumers. We need to make them aware of the brand that exists, and we need to make them sort of considering it in the pool of options. If I'm really thinking about what you need to do business with me, there are a whole bunch of things that happen beyond that, that I'm not currently planning for, and that a media plan, by way of example, would never allow me to. So if I look at a journey that a consumer has with a brand, and they start, yes, being aware of a brand, and then considering it within the options, then they're actually shopping for something, and they're actually having kind of a circular process of decision making. Then they decide to buy something and that has often a controlled or an uncontrolled aspect to it whether you're the retailer and control your channel or your e-commerce and you do or you don't at all and then I have an experience with the product itself and then I decide if I want to buy it again or buy something else from that brand or tell my friends that it was a great thing and they should buy something for the brand and so when I start to think about what I do in the future I begin to control for the entire user experience not just that upfront part
0: when you say journey are talking about a long journey, the lifetime of a customer, or a really short journey pick picking up chiclets? It depends.
1: The- it can be as short as, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? And it can be as long as I want to buy a car and I'm going to own it for the next three to five years. And they all are, and there are journeys within journeys for that matter, but we work in uh, healthcare quite a bit. So the insurance journey is one of which uh, you may have a completely different experience if, for example, you've planned something like going to the doctor versus if you just fell off your mountain bike and face-planted. There you have a completely different unplanned experience with your insurance that has a different sort of set of uh, informational and sort of um, functional needs that you have. And one of the things when we do journey mapping, and a lot of agencies do, this is not some proprietary thing for us. One of the things we do when we're thinking about both sort of the informational and functional needs that a, a consumer has while doing business with a brand is also what the emotional uh, sort of aspects of that are. And there are parts of any buying process that are you know sort of neutral and everything is just expected. And there are parts where there's really like high expectations and there are parts where there's just a, a really dissatisfied feeling in the process. And they may just be small tensions in the, the process, but they're there. And so if we think about each of those moments as a, a barrier or an opportunity to create a piece of content or a type of experience that solves for that, that's amazing. So car buying, um, which is one of my favorite categories to talk about because it does give you this kind of big, broad 30,000 foot look at what a consumer goes through. When you're thinking about buying a car, it's super exciting. Like I see myself in a Corvette, it's gonna be amazing. Like chicks are gonna follow me around. It's gonna be spectacular. And then you get into the, well, I have to actually now shop for one and decide where I'm going to buy. And you spend a lot of time online sort of researching dealer sites and OEM sites. And you actually look at third-party sites. And then you look at the car shopping uh, services like a true car. And now now the amount of information you've had to pull together is literally paralyzing. And so you sit on it for weeks. And you see everybody drive by in their fancy cars. And you're like, God, I really wanted to get something. And now I would feel really like so disappointed and, and confused by the process. Someone stepping in and sort of clarifying that for you, and arguably true car would be a beautiful example in that of someone who has clarified a confusing part of the process and really taken a barrier away from what would be a satisfactory experience. You then know that you've got confidence, like I've I've cut a deal, I know exactly how much I'm going to pay for a car, I just have to go pick it up at a dealership now. Then you wind up in one of those, "Mm, could be a great experience, could be an awful experience. Um, Everyone has had their share of both of them in the car buying process but taking away again a lot of the unknowns of what's going to happen when I have to deal with the F&I guy and when he has to bring the offer back to the sales manager and I'm sitting at the desk and it's really like scary and I don't know if my finance is even going to be approved to begin with. So all that gets solved and then you go through the sort of phase of I've taken delivery of a car and I freaking love it. I girls are in fact following me down the street. Like I I knew I was a Corvette dude. I just knew that in my very soul. And then you have the ownership experience. And again, what happens when I I am in this uh, product and um have it for a long time and how do i you know i tell my friends about it and what is it like when i have a a mechanical issue and i have to go to the service department all of these things are part of what a marketer is responsible for now and that i think is the biggest fundamental shift from you know marketers believing that they were in charge of the advertising to marketers realizing they're in charge of managing a customer experience and that is an end-to-end process and it's true whether it's a b2c product or a b2b product you own it all and granted you know there's always been in many uh, industries, a tension between marketing and sales, and who actually owns customers at various points in the journey. If the CMO doesn't recognize their role as a partner to a sales or a retail organization, in again, making sure that process is as managed and satisfactory to the customer as they can, they will have that end thing where a dissatisfaction occurs in the ownership or some other part of it, and they'll be the ones losing their job in 24 months because sales drop. That's a sad story. (laughs) <laughs> that went on 1st But you've long.
0: got the Corvette and the girls are following <laughs> you in their cars. Uh, Traffic jams occur. Traffic jams occur. Disaster. Oh, I don't know. Tell me about it. Okay, so uh, you're talking about changing the role of the brand, basically. So how does that affect the ad team?
1: So the ad team. I don't even know if there's such a thing as an ad team anymore. I think what it, what it changes fundamentally and what the ad team, if you will, contributes most profoundly to in you, the process, know. the ad team you know, like jerseys and stuff. I can see I it now. that was from your notes. <laughs> um, you sort of become responsible for how the brand behaves in different situations. So brands have a way that they are, which sounds weird because it's an intangible thing. They're not people, but they have a way that they behave. And so if you have an end-to-end relationship with a business, it behaves in different ways depending upon how the ad team, how the marketing department has sort of shaped what its positioning is, what its way of speaking is, what its tone and manner is. There are brands that behave very differently um, in channels, which is a huge mistake. And it often happens because you wind up with someone who's responsible for social media by way of example, um, taking very much the voice of a 24-year-old community manager, while the brand in advertising may be very, very serious. And so sorting that out at the beginning, what your marketing department does is really figures out what the brand's... Uh, voice will be in the marketplace. And it tells you how you're gonna react to things, like when there's a problem and a a customer contacts you, how do you behave in that situation? How do you behave across the channels? How are you guiding them through this process? And if I look at a brand like um, Lowe's, uh, Lowe's Home Improvement for a long time had a program called Lowe's Creative Ideas. And what it fundamentally knows is that do-it-yourself home improvement projects have a very predictable cadence. And it goes from, again, that I'm so excited, I'm going to redo my bathroom. And you have like, you've cut things out of magazines and you've gone online and you've built Pinterest boards and you're super excited about this project. And then you go into the beginning of the project and you're like, wow, I've now made four trips to the home improvement store and I still forgot to pick up the liquid nails and I'm so bummed about this already. And then you go into the project and it's more than you ever imagined it would be. And you can't believe you ever made a decision to take on such a stupid thing and then, If you're like me, you close the door to the second bathroom for a year, which I did. That's how bad my project went. And then you open back up and like, oh, I can do this. And you kind of like power through it. And it's maybe satisfactory, maybe not in the end, but you're certainly not like sharing it on social media. You're just glad someone now realizes that you have two bathrooms and you can use them both. So... What they recognized in that process is that if they wanted to be not only inspiration to a consumer but an ally to a consumer, they would really fix all those places where a hiccup or a barrier or a pain point occurred. So again, I go from inspiration, and I want you to be inspired enough to take on a project. I need to make sure your project is so good at the end that you'll do another project. And so what I'll do first is I'll make sure you have a list. So we've planned this project together, Lowe's and you as do-it-yourself person, and I want you to have a shopping list so you don't have to go back to Lowe's three times. So on your mobile phone, which is what you'll have in your hand when you're in store, I'm going to make sure you not only know what you need for a project, but exactly where it is located in the physical environment. That's pretty cool. You'll have a successful shopping experience. This was all in place? Uh, it has been part of their program okay. historically. Now they've, they've evolved it into various other sort of ways of doing business, but it, a lot of it with the genesis of it sort of came from this program. Um, So I go into the store, and I have a shopping list. I have a successful experience. And I, of course, can use their associates on the floor who are extremely knowledgeable. And they themselves have mobile apps to help me locate things on the physical floor. So I have a great experience. I come home. I start the project. I've given you in this case now a way to go back into that project's dossier, if you will, and have step-by-step instructions. And right now what you're seeing as kind of an emerging form of content is lots of brands are creating video how-tos. And it's good because it actually shows you what happens, but say you're building a deck. It's probably not practical to have a video how-to, and what you're going to need is like blueprint-y type step-by-step instructions. There are interesting things that live so beautifully in video, like a complicated part of a process, like when you're really hooking up the sink in the faucet that, again, we, we do them as videos when perhaps it's better as an animated GIF that you can sort of scrub back and forth in, this, forth in this one little complicated part of it. So they were always very focused on creating the exact kind of how-to content that would get you to a successful outcome. They also had, which was a great thing about the time that you close the door to your second bathroom and don't open it for a year, the sort of 4 one line. Probably more accurately a nine one one line, which is oh my god I'm having a disaster in my project. Help me through it And you could actually talk to someone who is an expert and that kind of um, I want you to have a successful project I am your ally in this is everything to the way that Lowe's behaved So then once you did have a successful outcome You were encouraged to photograph it and share it on their social platforms and your social channels and make sure that you had such again A great experience that you went back and did the next project and your friends were like oh they could do that I could do that
0: Hmm, Okay well, that kind of answers my next question, but it, what the consumer gets out of, if, if we're doing everything you say, we're going into sort of this different model, you're kind of yeah. flipping it. What does the consumer get out well,
1: of it? Well, it's funny because consumers don't understand that there is a, an ad team or a marketing department, or that one person's responsible for social, another's responsible for advertising, and another one is responsible for a website. They assume that companies actually understand what they're doing across their marketing organization and across their ecosystem of channels. And weirdly enough, we don't always. And so what it does is it begins to deliver the kind of holistic experience they expect to have. They are, at the end of the day, um, so used to being predicted and catered to and having their experiences personalized by the best brands with which they do business that they expect it from everyone. And they're really irritated. I mean, the the simplest thing and all of us can appreciate this is when you've, uh, you're on a phone line and you've given your frequent flyer number by way of example, and you did it through the voice recognition service. And then as soon as the person uh, answers the phone, they ask you for that same piece of information again. And most, good brands have solved for that now. I think when I call you know, American Airlines and they recognize I've called from my mobile phone number, they answer me, even though it's in voice recognition and, then, and I'm being answered by a computer, they call me by name. Yeah. And so that is one of those important solves that we as consumers now expect from all the brands with which we do business.
0: So, okay, so that's consumers, well, what about B2B?
1: <laughs> this is funny, because we, we, B2B, uh, marketers, were probably the first true content marketers, in that their process was about lead generation and then turning it over to a sales department to close a deal. And so they would create white papers and you know, thought leadership pieces that you would then request as a business-to-business buyer that would impress you about how sort of genius they were as the company you were thinking about buying from. And then it was a, a very much a selling a direct sales organization kind of model. What we forget is that every B2B customer is actually a B2C consumer in every other moment of their lives. And they are used to the experiences that they get on Amazon and Sephora and through Uber and every kind of business that has, again, solved a fundamental problem. And when we drop back to sort of an old model of... I generate a lead, maybe it's qualified, maybe it's not. I turn it over to a sales organization and hope that someone's able to sort of take it through the rest of the process. We miss this opportunity to again, understand a a B2B customer's journey, which is also as long and complex and filled with pitfalls and emotional highs and lows as a B2C consumers is. And so that same sort of content strategy is appropriate across the lifetime of a B2B customer. We work with Demandware, which is now part of Salesforce. So at Salesforce, Uh, Commerce Cloud, and they have this same uh, sort of challenge in which you can communicate how brilliant The back-end commerce cloud functionality is, but it's a long relationship, not only a long selling relationship with a prospect, but for them to have that technology as part of their business and a fundamental part of their business. Like it's the e-commerce engine of a lot of really important retailers, and that requires an ongoing relationship. And so, recognizing that there are things that content and tools and you know communications can do throughout the duration of that, they're just a, a different. They buy different bigger things and they typically have longer relationships.
0: So whether it's B2C or B2B, when you say content first, you're really saying customer first.
1: Yeah. Again, if we as marketers think about what we need to make, to make it as easy as possible for someone to do business with us, we have done our job successfully. So again, if I look at a historical perspective, we always thought we have to make the brand positioned effectively. So we need to be different than our competitors and we need to be um, you know, clearly preferred by consumers because they like Coke versus Pepsi. When in reality, the consumer is not necessarily concerned with your positioning about Coke versus Pepsi, they're concerned with whether they're, you know thirsty and how well this is going to satisfy them and whether they look good carrying the bottle, and whether the bottle is, in fact, a recyclable bottle, and all the myriad things that go into a consumer's perspective on what brand they choose. And while that's a you know the shortest journey is going to the soda machine and buying a, a soda, those kinds of decisions, if you've not made appropriate content, no matter how small or how seemingly insignificant, that support that entire decision-making process, you've only done a part of your job.
0: How much has social affected this whole mindset because so profoundly in in, you know in (laughs) quite a few years ago you know you could vote with your wallet or you could maybe write a letter of dissatisfaction otherwise there's no uh, conversation going back and forth and now there is definitely a conversation that's what they keep saying about uh uh, you know brands using their social you know you're 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 exchanging thoughts back and forth
1: and this is i think that the most important answer to the question you'd asked earlier about, you know, what is a role of a a sort of marketing team or a brand manager now? And it is, again, to control that voice and that behavior. So if 72% of consumers expect a complaint that they've lodged on Twitter to be answered within the hour, that's a real concern for you if you are not prepared to do that as a brand. You better have a reason why your brand doesn't do that, or you better figure out how to answer complaints in under an hour. And so, again, consumer expectations have laid this upon you. Social now is... Um, a fascinating thing to watch. Um, I'm trying to think of the group on Twitter that's been going after a number of, not to go political, but a number of brands who have been, for example, advertising on Breitbart. And it is a very active voice in um, communicating consumer displeasure with presence on a site that they don't believe reflects their values. And so now you have the ability to really harness a lot of consumer opinion and you know, valid, not valid, doesn't matter. Everything is real on the internet. if if we learned anything in the last 10 months. Um, But that kind of uh, voice is something that you have to be prepared to answer all the time. So not only are you thinking about what you as a brand want to do on Your social platforms which is again what the brand wants to say what the business wants to say but what the consumer expects to hear from you what they need again to feel great about you that you're being responsive that you are um, engaged positively for social good like whatever their demands and expectations are you based on how you've set up the voice and personality of your brand you have to deliver it in every single channel and social is undoubtedly the most important of them now
0: Wow, this has really been great, Christy. Um, where can people find out more about MXN or you or there any, so, yeah, any MXN, call to action you'd like to
1: make? Mxm.com. Um And one of the great things uh, as we start to talk about sort of content-led organizations, especially in the marketing department, um, one of the things we have on our website, mxm.com, is a tool that we built inside that's called Core. And if you sort of scroll down our homepage, you'll come upon it, and it's actually a little interactive tool that marketers can use to help understand what their future looks like if they decide to, you know, unload the tyranny of the media plan and start to think kind of consumer first and content first. And it talks about, like, depending upon any number of things from the complexity of your product mix to the velocity at which you intend to market, what your marketing department might look like organizationally, um, what technologies you might use uh, for enablement, what kinds of content you might plan on creating. So it really is just an interesting way to start to think about how do we you know, sort of break loose of what the historical marketing department looks like and start to think about what it looks like in the future?
0: This has all been great. Christy Vandenbosch, who is a Chief Digital Officer at MXN. Thank you so much for coming on the AMA Los Angeles podcast. My absolute pleasure. You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los Angeles chapter, and to find out about upcoming events, Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by Joel Metzger and Ice Box Logic. <laughs>